Audio conversation with Kiwoni Lapsoritis recorded Monday, June 9th, 2014. Now, I read uh, The Psychic Sasquatch, uh, Kiwoni's first book, shortly after it came out in 1998. Um, now, the full title of that book is The Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection. Um, at that point, I think I had come across whisperings of psychic experiences as well as UFO sightings in direct connection to Sasquatch sightings. But this was the first book I had ever read on the subject, and I gotta say, I was kind of mystified. And, you know, one of the questions in the forefront of my mind was, who is this author? Who is the guy that wrote this book? And I say that because um, because he wrote it in such a strong, confident, almost forthright way that I was left a little baffled. Uh, let's fast forward to this year. This would have been February of 2014. I met Kiwoni. He was one of the speakers at the International UFO Congress, which is held each year in Arizona. And and I was excited to meet this guy. Uh, this book had a big impact on me. And the way I frame uh, the totality of all this weirdness, because he was unashamed about just declaring straight up the kinds of things that he had been finding. So, um, here I am at the conference. I uh, I see Kiwoni. He's sitting behind his table uh, as one of the presenters. And I walk up to him, and I, I start a conversation. And let me tell you, within the first 10 seconds of interacting with him, I, re- I understood who had written that book in the sense that this is a strong, confident guy. And I liked him immediately. I liked him enormously right away. Now, like me, Kiwoni has very bright, clear blue eyes. And and this is kind of sound odd, but um, I have been told this, and I recognize this in my own photographs when I see pictures of myself. I have an odd way of, of looking like I'm in a sort of perpetual state of astonishment. And this fellow Kiwoni shares that. He has these bright, round, clear blue eyes. Um, and he's and right away, right within the first few seconds of us talking, he just went right in to talking about his experiences with ETs, and his also his experience with with uh, Sasquatch, and he had a forthrightness that I found curiously soothing. And I and I just I guess I, I said this before, but I liked the guy enormously right away. Now this first meeting took place in February of this year. And I bought his most recent book, The Sasquatch People, and the subtitle is And Their Interdimensional Connection. Uh, I just finished reading this book a couple days ago and um, called him up and said I want to do an interview, and and, uh, and we, we did that interview this afternoon. And, uh, and, that talk place took, uh, and that recorded conversation took place yesterday afternoon. Now, this book, uh, his second book similar to his first book, is just one account after another account after another account after another account of people having these psychic experiences with uh, Sasquatch. And uh, now, for me, as someone who's researching the UFO weirdness, I was immediately struck by the endless similarities between the people who are having these Sasquatch encounters whether that be um, psychic stuff, uh, feeling a presence, and and just the tone, the flavor of some of these stories has a similar tone and a similar flavor to the UFO contact stories that that I have been researching, and 
And I think that anyone who looks into this stuff has a sort of uh, built-in internal continuum, you know, that this uh, teeter-totter that balances out uh, how they how they frame what they are capable of believing in. And that this goes for me. Uh, and I feel like I'm pretty open-minded, and I'm not afraid to go way out at the end of that teeter-totter, way out at the end of that continuum, and, you know, immerse myself in, let's say, some of the deeper waters. Well, I mean, Kiwoni is as far out to the edge as anyone I've ever met. Um, but at the same time, his story, his experiences, the way he presents himself, is similar to a lot of other folks I've met. And so I, I, I'm, I'm very cautious to dismiss his experiences outright. Um, they, I will say they do challenge me. So in a lot of ways, I was both uh, kind of perplexed as well as delighted by his book and as well as uh, by this, this conversation we just had. And I say delighted because, because this guy radiates something uh, and I felt it in person and I felt it during this talk. He radiates something that is really supportive and sweet and i and i just really drank that in when i was talking with him as well as when i was in the reading in the book now about halfway through this interview i asked some personal questions about things that i that i want to understand better and that would be um things like meditation and dowsing and um and so i you'll hear me say it right in the interview i i, I straight up say um listen now i'm going to be selfish i'm going to ask questions for myself and he was just as forthright with his answers as he was with uh, with this stuff throughout the interview, and I really appreciated that. Um, down in the show notes, you can get a get a link to his website where you can get both his books as well as uh, his speaking engagements when he's speaking publicly. And I will also say, if you have had any kind of Sasquatch or Bigfoot experience. Uh, especially the stuff that you might be timid about sharing to what would be considered uh, the more conservative form of Bigfoot hunter, uh, the kind that show up on cable TV shows late at night, I would say uh, get get a hold of him and share your story with him. I'm, I'm quite certain he would love to hear it. This interview runs just a little bit shy of two hours. I had a marvelous time listening to him and sharing my stuff with him and, and, uh, and having him be supportive for me. Uh, you'll hear it in there when I ask about dowsing and meditation. So, uh, for the next two hours, please enjoy. Hey, Kiwoni, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Yes, well, I thank you for having me. Yes, we met in person at a recent UFO conference that took place in Arizona. We had a chance to talk for just a few minutes. Um, you were quite a hit there, I have to add. Uh, and... You have a new book that came out, and I'm not sure, I think in 2013 it came out. Oh, excuse me, 2011, and it is titled The Sasquatch People, and the subtitle is um, And Their Interdimensional Connection. So the full title is The Sasquatch People and Their Interdimensional Connection. And um, there's one, so I pulled out a quote here, and I just want to start with this quote. Uh, It comes on page 31, and and you, you call yourself an intermediary. Uh, and you say the Sasquatch have asked you to be a voice for them to express their feelings and concerns to the outer world. I was really uh, genuinely touched by that. Um, and if you uh, if you could address that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, all that surprised me too. Again, this is no ego trip. It's simply a, a, they focused on me and said that I have an open heart and that I, uh, I'm devoted to 
to God and the planet and and to uh, uh, that I've never tried to exploit them by trying to sneak around and get photographs or go try to get them with a gun. I mean, that's all foolishness. I mean, people do not understand that uh, these are a people and not animals, and they're a hundred times more uh, evolved than the uh, the the best hunter out there. Uh, so uh, they're also interdimensional, and that's why they can't find them. But somehow in 60, almost 60 years, the, the other 99% of the researchers don't seem to figure it out. And in the meantime, for 35 years, I've been interacting with them, helping them, getting information from them, being healed from them, uh, being mentored by them. It's, it's like a science fiction movie, except it's all for real. And uh, they chose me for several reasons, uh, not just uh, spiritually, but uh, because I have four degrees and 10 years of college. And I, uh, you know, lived all over the world, was out of the country for five years and all these other things that opened my mind up. And, you know, it ended up having these credentials and, uh, it's interesting because growing up in high school and everything in junior high, I could not uh, even look at people when I walked in front of a class if the class was full, you know, of students. And uh, now I'm a professional speaker, professional writer, and so on. And and uh, again, I slowly developed that, and they said it's good that I'm not afraid to uh tell the truth, basically, because it sounds a little airy-fairy or something, And uh, uh, but the truth is the truth, and people better get used to it because it's, they're going to hear a lot more about it uh, since the contactees are coming out of the closet, and they're talking about precisely the same thing I am. In fact, I've documented 272 uh, contactees that have had telepathic experiences and uh, you know, I've seen them dematerialize at times. Some of them experience the ETs with them uh, quite frequently, and a few, very few, of the contactees where it's ongoing. Uh, myself, uh, uh, it's ongoing for 35 years. Uh, Kelly Nesbitt in, in Arkansas, uh, the ET's been coming to her her whole life, and then there was a hiatus where there was nothing, and all of a sudden, while she was hiking in the Ozarks, uh, the uh, female Sasquatch approached her. And so she's befriended several of them and talks to them quite frequently, and uh, both the ETs and the, and the Sasquatch. And she has a book coming out in the fall that I'll, I'll, I'll have on my website, uh, www.sasquatchpeople.com. Um, so then there's also Andy Robson, and Michael Todd, these are other contactees who just happen to be ongoing in their experiences with these uh, very evolved beings. So, yeah, they chose me, and I I was very nervous about it. I didn't really know what to expect or, or anything, but in writing my first book, for example, The, the Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection, uh, for three days when I was working about 12, 14 hours a day uh, on this particular particular chapter in the book, an ET uh, in another dimension stood beside me and 
uh, told me what to write and and everything. So it's it's different. I didn't ask for this. I feel very fortunate, and it's changed my life immensely. Uh, a few times I almost died. Uh, they intervened and took care of it, both with my health issues that I used to have and don't have them anymore, and uh, uh, also uh, different mechanical things that happened that I almost got killed. They they stopped it from happening. How they do it, don't know, but they're doing it, and uh, they, this summer they want me to live with them for a short period and then write my third book about it. Uh, they said they want the third book to be real short, and uh, so... Uh, I just accepted it, and I go with the flow, and uh, they're very pleased. Often they tell me they love me, they're proud of me, they're, uh, and that kind of thing, and then they may direct me. Um, for example, uh, certain things I've tried to do, and they said, no, I, we could make some suggestions for you. And so they do, and I work on them, and, and they work, but you've got to work on them. And they know that that's what I want. So they're, they're being very helpful with their guidance uh, and everything. So it's sort of an exchange. A, a woman in Montreal a few years ago that was having ex- telepathic experiences with the forest people uh, told her, he says, uh, uh, Kiwoni is a doctor that we trust, and uh, we, we, we work with him, and he, he helps us. Uh, I'm a master herbalist, so they referred me to refer to me as a doctor, which I do not have a doctorate. I just have four other degrees, a master's degree in holistic health. So these are this is the friendship that, that's developed in everything. And um, when my editor was here uh, visiting me for three days at the cabin in the Washington foothills of the Washington Cascades. She wanted to have an experience because the Sasquatch people and the ancient ones are 130 feet from my front door in a, in a portal in the forest. So she brought her tent and sleeping bag for three days and, and uh, was right close to my cabin here but uh, to see if she could have contact. Uh, nothing happened. But every night after dinner, we went for a walk. And uh, uh, out here on the dirt roads, it's, it's very wild. And uh, I'm a storyteller. I didn't realize, but I'm a natural storyteller and discovered that over the years. And when I was teaching anthropology at a New England college, I uh, often would make reference to the field work I did on the Amazon and doing an ethnographic study amongst the Takuna Indians, where I lived with them for a while. So... If I'm telling theory to somebody, sometimes I go and give them an example by telling them a story that that all fits and explains and clarifies things. So when uh, she kept telling me she's not having any experiences, while we were hiking uh, that evening, uh, she asked me a question, and uh, I tried to explain to her this and that, and she kind of looked at me, and I said, well, let me just say this, and I started telling her a story and how that fit in. <clears throat> Halfway through the story, two ancient ones came up behind me. They're the ones with the human faces, not the ones with the ape-like faces, in this, like the Sasquatch. They're both more human than we are. 
So don't be fooled by their physicality. Uh, but they were invisible, and they were about five or six feet behind us. So when I felt them, my whole body vibrated, and they said, we're here. And, of course, they were following us anyway, because they do. They follow me everywhere. So I stopped in the middle of the story, and I said uh, to my editor, I said, do you feel that? you feel them? He said, what are you talking about? And I said, there's two ancient ones right here. She turned around and looked. I said, well, they're in another dimension, but they're only five or six feet away. And I said, don't you feel the vibrations? And she says, no. And they're very powerful. I mean, you can't miss it. I can't ever miss it. And it happens to other people, too. So while I'm, I'm going back and forth with her, one of the ancient ones says, never mind us, finish the story. <laughs> so they, they, they listen in. I'm sure they get a little bored at times uh, guarding me, as they do. And uh, when, when I travel, the, the ships follow me in the car. So, you know, what's this about? Uh, that's what it ended up being, and I, it's okay with me. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's different. But after 35 years, you know, I, I may be in a store talking to someone, and one of the Sasquatch or ancient ones would say, uh, little brother, you'll be able to help this person if you do the blah, blah, blah. And they would share that with me, and I'd thank them and, and tell them I love them, and they tell me they love me. And, and then I'd say to the woman, well, you know, and I said, how did you know that? And, and then I'd go down that road and kind of clear something up for the person because I'm sort of a troubleshooter in that regard. I, I call that spiritual counseling where I can help someone and give them direction and drop away all the confusion. Uh, the Sasquatch said I'm like a, a uh, compass. And I, I thought, what are you talking about? He says, you point people in the correct direction on the path. You, you, you enjoy helping people, and we honor you for that. This is, this is quite, this is, I, I was blown away by your talk at the, at the conference, and I also um, remember when I read your initial book, The um, Psychic Sasquatch, um, I bought it a little bit on a whim, I guess. I bought it, and this is back before the age of the internet, and I just bought it through a paper catalog and, and uh, sent off for it. And I remember when it came in, I, I, I remember getting about five pages into it, and I, I was thinking, like, who is this guy that is writing this? Because you were so, I almost want to use the word forthright, you were so clear about these events and these stories in a way where you didn't, um, how to say, you almost, you, you didn't, tiptoe up to them, these stories. You didn't apologize for the strangeness of some of the stories. You just simply told them. And I was uh, I was left um, a little bit, by the end of the book, I felt like my head had been rung like a gong a little bit. And then, uh, but at the same time, it did change my, not only my view of, because uh, at that point, I had no opinion one way or the other about the Sasquatch issue. Um, I did kind of like those uh, there was a, you know, there was a, those kind of stories, you know, the, the, the spooky campfire story in a way that the Sasquatch, uh, sort of epitomized, you know, uh, but what I ended up walking away with was a much richer view of the mystery. And, um, and then, okay, here, so, so that, that was, um, I guess it must've been over a decade ago when I read that, that those books, 
or the, excuse yeah, me, the first when I read your initial out book. in 1998. And yeah, now, so you just used the term um, contactees. Now, when you use that term, are you talking about a, a contactee in the Sasquatch sense or in the, in the UFO ET sense? Both. Okay. Uh, when I speak of it, uh, I, it's Sasquatch with uh, certain ones, certain people have had ET UFO experiences uh, with the Sasquatch and ETs. So if, if I talk about the ones with the ETs, then I say they, they also had experiences with ETs. Okay, now, now, so you have had your own experience with both of these, with both the ETs as well as the Sasquatch. And yes, it, I've seen seven different races of ETs. And then is this all remembered consciously, or is there hypnosis involved? Uh, all conscious, yeah. And now this is interesting because you talk very little about that in your both your interviews and your books. The majority of it is all focused on the Sasquatch issue. And I think, I mean, obviously each facet is, to me, very fascinating, and um, and just could you just describe or your your connection or your contact experiences with the with the ETs? Yes. Keep in mind before I, I continue on that the Sasquatch are terrestrial extraterrestrials. Terrestrial meaning Terra being from Earth. Terra like the the terra firma, right. the ground in my they're, backyard is of this Earth. They're not flying around on spaceships. Sometimes they're aboard because they'll land in the wilderness and the Sasquatch would do the, uh, the, the mining work, the heavy, strong work. So, cause they're extremely powerful. Uh, but, uh, they are in a, uh, they are, they told me and uh, uh, two other contactees that they were brought here millions of years ago by their friends, the star people. And I said to them, I said, are you, uh, you're, uh, you were here during the time of the dinosaurs. And they said, yes. And then, which, which was confusing, but he said, yes, we were seated then. Your people were seated much later. Now, when he said that, I thought, what's he talking about? You know, I come from a Darwinian perspective. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, again, I taught anthropology even. So, you know, I'm, I was surprised, but, you know, but one thing that I did drop in anthropology, I, I didn't believe that Lucy in Africa, the three and a half million uh, year old uh, uh, fossil findings there uh, that walked upright uh, was supposed to be our ancestor. That is absolutely absurd. It has nothing to do with reality. It's a fantasy that science made up and boy, they should be ashamed of themselves because there is no link or missing link between each of those hominids. Absolutely zero to prove that it, they continue to evolve into us. They make the leap, so to speak, science does, uh, because it, it seems logical to them, even though there's no real proof and they call themselves science. So there's really a problem. Uh, I've seen lots of problems, and that's why the, the real scientist will become modern when he integrates the mysteries that is the parascience and science. Uh, the, uh, let's just say, 
mainstream science merging more with quantum physics. If people don't like the word psychic or paranormal, sometimes that's a dirty word for some people, uh, then use the word uh, uh, quantum physics because that's what it is. It, it just, those people never did their homework. There's, it, there's proof and there's books, and these people are brilliant. Some of them uh, have been nominated for, uh, you know, for all kinds of uh, awards and the Peace Prize and all this stuff. So, but they don't know that, so they put it down and, and people down for having those experiences. In the beginning, I was a little uh, offended, and now I just feel sorry for people because they're missing out on the flip side of the coin, that is uh, the, uh, if you want to call it paranormal, and then the nuts and bolts people. But who do you think is running these ships? They're running on their own. They just sort of appeared in space. Of course not. They were built and they were driven by another being, some kind of a humanoid being. So, uh, and they must talk and communicate, I guess, right? They have to. So when I tell people about my communication, if they're nuts and bolts, they don't believe me. And I, I, I feel sad for these kinds of people because they're throwing away the baby with the bathwater plus the tub. Yes, and um, you wrote uh, in the book, this is interesting to me because so many of the things you're, you write, to me, um, play out with both the Sasquatch reports, the way you've described them and your own personal experiences, as well as the UFO contact reports, which I'm collecting on my own through my own research, as well as some of my own experiences. So, so many of these points match up. Um, I mean, just the, uh, the fact that you just said you have a portal outside your, um, your home. Now, there would have been a point when I would have kind of like, ooh, I don't know quite what to make of that. But what has happened is I have talked to so many people, and they all will say, not, you know, this is, I mean, I, let me just think off the top of my head, maybe a dozen people I've talked with, and they have said, oh, I have a portal near my home, or I have a portal in my backyard. And they will describe something that, um, you know, there's nothing physically there to see, but it's something there that they can very clearly sense and then it is like sort of a, a sort of a window area for anomalous experiences and the way they portray it is that these are you know et events and now so i'm just fascinated by the overlap of these two what would be two camps i mean i have a feeling that the that the sasquatch hunters that you would or the bigfoot hunters that you see on cable tv and the nuts and bolts ufo researchers man they are there is a divide between them that is that is uncrossable that is they're on they're so they're they're never going to connect those two camps but very rigid just a lot of lot of ego involved and uh, the sasquatch say just let go of ego go with the flow don't get involved and there's too much work here to do. The planet's dying, and they want me to do more projects, and I am, and many of these other people are doing projects. So, But they tell me I'm spearheading. I'm the leader of all this, of the real Sasquatch stuff, you know, the real, the real phenomena, not monster hunting. My goodness, these people need to go back to grade school. 
Well, that's the thing that's the same with, with the, the nuts and bolts fo folks. I mean, uh, you said there was the line. Of, so they are, the line in the book, you said they are both physical and non-physical. And, and, uh, and that is, that is a, ch I can, I know there's a mindset out there that that would just, that would, that is a challenge to their worldview because it's either one yeah. or the other. It's either physical yeah. or non-physical. When I was speaking at the uh, University of British Columbia in Vancouver at a international Sasquatch symposium, uh, let's see, uh, I believe that was, uh, I think in 98, actually. Yes, it was in 98. <clears throat> a guy in the audience raised his hand uh, at the end of my lecture, and he says, uh, you keep talking about you know interdimensionalism and this and that. Well, uh, <clears throat> Would you set me straight on this? Either they're, they're uh, paranormal or they're physical. They can't be both. So which is it? I says, that's, that's just it. They are both. And it stung this guy, you know. And, uh, I mean, they walk right through my door and come in here all the time. In fact, they're listening to this whole interview. And uh, Oh, no, just let me interrupt. You sense that right now. Yeah, they, they always do. They listen in on all my phone calls. They follow me everywhere and listen to every conversation. Even if I said something in one little sentence someplace to someone, maybe a couple of weeks later, they'll say, well, you know, and then they'll quote that. And I go, huh? That, now, what <laughs> you're saying is what I've heard from UFO contactees, just almost word for word. So, that, so to me, you're, you're confirming that there's a that, the connection between the two. Well, about... Four or five days ago, a Sasquatch said there's a mothership above my uh, cabin uh, that they're intensifying, uh, you know, as far as protection and, and several other things to make themselves available to me. So this is, I mean, this is how they talk. And, and uh, they say, well, we honor you. And uh, I send my love and blessings and that kind of thing. And I always tell them I love them and. I get messages from other contactees as well uh, saying, you know, uh, oh, uh, uh, like uh, Kelly Nesbitt, she'll call me from Arkansas and say, oh, I was talking with Suni today, the female Sasquatch, and she said she has a message for you because whatever they were talking about and so on, it concerned me, so they, she passed it on to me. Or she'll uh, sit down at the computer and type it as she's being directed by Suni, and then she'll forward it on to me uh, through the email. So this is how it is. It's it's really uh, a lot of fun in a way. You know, I mean, you're getting messages and you're uh, interacting and you're finding out information that you can't get anyplace else. They, they tell us stuff that's not in the newspapers or not out there. And some of it is very powerful spiritual stuff, which is... which. Uh... Right, and some of it is evil stuff that's going on in the planet. Yeah. Hey, so um, let me share an experience. This is something that, that was told to me, and this is someone, I'm not going to use his name, and I'm going to maybe change some of the details a little bit, but he um, uh, is a UFO abductee, very clear about that, lots of experiences all throughout his life, and his family had a cabin, and this would have been in Pennsylvania, and he saw there was at one point in a summer he was young at the time, and I think he was in high school or college. Um, and there was a, um, you know, he saw what amounted to a, a Sasquatch in the yard. And then later, 
he had an experience where he was lying in bed in his home and he was uh, his bed the way the bed was it was pull out couch in this kind of uh, you know a cabin that the family would would spend weekends at and the the pull out couch was pushed right up against the window and there was a presence outside the window he could feel it and then there was a pounding on the window and he sensed that this was from the Sasquatch. I think he might have called it a Bigfoot. But, uh, and it's, now here's what's interesting. He describes this great big picture window. And then he describes the pounding in a way that almost sounds like some huge burly man was hitting the window with a sledgehammer. And it scared him and he kind of put his head under the covers and then eventually it went away. And, and, um, but what struck me, and we both talked about it, is the fact that if anything had hit that window as hard as he was describing or as hard as it felt like, I mean, I, you know, if you wanted to get someone's attention in a house and there was a big picture window, I would be cautious. I maybe would tap it with my knuckles and not much, and not go much beyond that. But he was describing something that almost sounded, I'm going to say paranormal, or it sounded like a, an illusion. Like he was, he was. The, the, I'd like uh, to. Uh, oh, go yeah, on. I'd like to comment on that. Sure. They have the ability to make sounds of the forest. I mean, like you wouldn't understand that a lot of the things you may be hearing out there are not the birds and all these other things, but them. So, uh, in, uh, let's see here. Uh, one moment. Oh, in your Uh, book, there's a story about hearing trees falling in the woods. Right. I'm going to say that, but I want to say that, uh, uh, I was out on this island, and uh, there were. Uh, I was there for five months, and there was a. Uh, people have seen Sasquatch and ETs walking around the island, so uh, uh, it, it's there's so much mysterious things going on there that the uh, the Ojibwe Indians that live on some of the other islands won't go there. Or if they do, they, they won't stay. And so I stayed there and camped out. And there was a period of six weeks where every time I, uh, I'd be doing something, and it was always during the daytime, this tremendous crash came down of a tree. I mean, my goodness, I thought, what the heck? How could that just fall? There's no wind or nothing. It was in the summertime. So I grabbed my movie camera at the time. This is 1981 in, in Lake Michigan. And I'm tiptoeing into the woods there and looked everywhere. And it was so close that this happened, but no tree down. Wait a minute, that's strange. So I thought, well, it must have been a little further down and I, I can't find it, but... It just sounded maybe it echoed. You know, you start making, uh, rationalizing, you know. But it happened 15 times and uh, uh, over a period of six weeks, and then it stopped. But uh, each time I checked out, there was absolutely not one, not even one tree down. And it sounded like a, I'm going to guess, a, a, you know, 60, 75 foot tall tree coming down, no little tree. So I, I, uh, just tried to, I discussed this with some people who were, uh, working as psychics as such. And they said, well, maybe it's, it's noise from another dimension. 
And I said, well, it's possible, but then we're hearing it in this dimension. So we really never resolved it. And then I befriended uh, uh, some ancient ones down in Texas, where I was going down for about four years in a row, uh, Texas and, and southern Oklahoma. And uh, uh, one night I was in a tent in the forest, and there was a female and a male coming around. They were brother and sister. Uh, her name was Halodi. She's a very beautiful woman. Uh, she was an ancient one with a human face. And, of course, hair all over her body at a distance, she looked like a Sasquatch, other than she has an hourglass figure, and not like the female Sasquatch in Roger Patterson's uh, 1967 film. You know, that's kind of bulky. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not. They're very attractive anyway. But she's a, a shamanist, and then her brother Neshoba was there, and I was interacting with two of them most of the time. Oh, so well, let me just let me just interrupt. So, so the the woman Sasquatch, or the the ancient one, you yeah. just referred to her as a shamanist. Yeah, she's a shamanist. Okay, yeah. we'll get we'll get back to that, but that's, that's something I want to ask about. So, um, but keep okay. going. So one night, uh, Neshoba came around, and um, uh, he, uh, I, I, he got a little bit mad at me. Uh, it wasn't deliberate, but I was. They're tricksters, so. Uh, you know, uh, I, 11 o'clock, let's see, 1120 at night, he did a cock-a-doodle-doo. Well, all the, uh, the rooster and all the hens are long inside and they don't do anything until the morning comes. And so it was right by my tent there. And, but he, he sounded like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a rooster with laryngitis, and he kind of broke the cuckoo. It was just a terrible one that he did. And I've heard him do others in the forest, you know, uh, uh, during the day. So when he did that, he kind of goofed. And I telepathed to him and said, Neshoba, you can do better than that. And he threw a branch towards, the, towards me like, you know, like, oh, shut up, you know. And it was interesting. I waited and listened. I told him I was joking and all of a sudden, he did a perfect one for me. And, uh, and then I told him, I said, look, I left uh, some food, some uh, pears, and I forgot what else, a couple of things. I said, for Haloti, but go ahead and take half of that for yourself. And I said, uh, leave the, the rest for Haloti. And so he did, but he came back later and went behind the tent and all of a sudden, I heard this gigantic crash, and I jumped. I mean, I jumped, and uh, uh, I listened and didn't hear anything, didn't hear nothing after that, just quiet as can be. But it unnerved me a little bit because it sounded like it was going to land on my tent. And uh, the next morning, I got up, and there wasn't a tree down. And so I went in a circle, starting from the tent, and walked circular around and around till I covered about 200 feet. And there was not one tree down. Of course, it would have been down right beside my tent. So I made sure, and so this is what they can do. So uh, in applying this to, you presented the situation with this pounding on the window, they know they can break the window, and I don't believe they're trying to do that at all but trying to get his attention 
and so uh, they uh, somehow, you know, fabricated that. I, again, I don't know how they do it, but believe me, they do it. And a few other people, when I told them about my experience, 15, actually that was the 16th time, uh, I put it in perspective form, you know, that don't worry, it's just they're maintaining their control and, and uh, saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm here. And uh, I have this ability. Okay, that's very interesting. So that was my sense. I remember when I read, so I read that section in the book, and I immediately went back to that story. Um, and it was interesting because it was a story of a UFO abductee who was talking about an interaction with uh, with a Bigfoot, and and it was he described it as being terrifying, being in in the in the height of bed, and at the same time, like I don't think he had ever. Like it was the conversation back and forth between him and I, where I kind of said, "Wait a minute, that that doesn't make sense. No one could pound on a window like that." So yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, very, very interesting. So, um, back oh, to... I would tell you something else, real quick, okay. if I if sure. I may interject. A friend of mine was here visiting me, and the Sasquatch or the ancient ones were coming in and out of the place, and I told him that, "Do you feel them?" And he said, "No." And and I said, "I'm going to ask them if they would." He's been here several times, and I said, "I." You know, we've been friends for 15 years, and I said, hey, I'll ask them to do something that so you'll know it's from them. And he said, okay, so there were two of them inside here, and I talked to him and asked them. So I figured, you know, during the night or later, uh, uh, because they came in and stomped around, literally stomping around when I had a guest, I asked them to, because she wouldn't believe that that there was anybody there. And she was sleeping on the couch, and she heard the tromping and all this stuff, and she said, holy gee, I guess they are here. So know? was that, while well, the tromping was inside the house, the sound was inside? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't so, like they were tromping in the they, yard they outside. Doing, they weren't doing it to hurt anyone or to scare her. They were just letting, I told her I was going to do that. And she just kind of, you know, shrugged it off. But the next morning, uh, she said, boy, they were there for a long time, you know. So here's a question for you. Now, if there was a tape recorder in the room... Or let's say here, let's go back to his experience you had. If there was a tape recorder in the forest, uh, would would it have recorded the sound of the tree falling, or was that something that only you perceived, perhaps like through telepathic means? And that's a good question. I, I can't answer that. I, yeah. I just don't know. That's a very good question. I mean, I could have... Um, of course, I heard it with my ears, I thought, and I could feel it. So I think it was a... I'm still uncertain. I don't want sure, to say. Well, no, perfect. That's a perfect answer. If you had, in a way, if you, you know, had said, I don't want yeah, in a way, if you had said anything different, then I would, you know, that would have. Uh, so yeah, the perfect answer because I don't know either, and that's my sense is that there's some sort of there's a blurry line between you know, uh, you know, a physical. I get you know whether it's it's a uh, uh, projection through psychic means or whether it's a whether it's a real physical noise. Um, and there's no way to know, obviously, unless there was a tape recorder right there in, in the moment. Hey, here's a question I ask every single person, pretty much, who, who, I, who I do these interviews with. And um, so the question would be, what is the role of the shaman? Well, they're the doctors, in a sense, of the, uh, the Sasquatch and ancient ones. And they have tremendous power. I mean, really tremendous power. And uh, uh, I had a ruptured disc. And uh, 
uh, anyway, I could not walk at all, literally, and I was in a wheelchair. And I was living outside of Roseburg, Oregon, in the Oregon Cascades, in a cabin, and I was on a UFO flight line. Every, about twice, I'd say a, a week or three times a week, they would be there, and I'd just wait, and I had people come out, and they said that they didn't believe me, and no matter who came out there, uh, we saw them. So when this happened, and they, the doctor said, you'll probably, you'll probably never walk again the way this thing is unless you have surgery. And uh, it was experimental surgery. And sorry, you know, uh, you're not going to experiment on me. So I tried to figure out what to do, but I was hurting bad. I was getting four hours sleep a night. The pain was on a scale of one to ten was a ten and a half. So I was a mess. And so I started telepathing. I said, telepath to the ETs, see what will happen. So I started telepathing all day and night because I was just laying flat on my back. I, uh, I'd watch a little TV or read a little bit, and that's it. And that's all I could do. And people come take care of me and help and bring food, do my laundry for me. And so the second night, I telepathed all day, I should say, I telepathed all day long into the night. And uh, I would say sometime in the early evening, I was telepathing to them. Two days had gone by, and I had never received a message after all the telepathy. And I broke down and wept and wept out of frustration and because the pain was so bad. So, uh, let's see, this was in 1987, February 87. So... Uh, that night, when I finally shut the light off, reached over, shut it off, immediately there was shuffling going on in the place, and I couldn't turn around because my back hurt. Behind me, and I best I could see at the corner of my eye, there were three beings standing there around four, roughly around four feet tall. And uh, they said, we are here to heal you. And I said, thank you, God bless you. And uh, then they put me out. And the next thing I knew, I heard some strange language in my head it sounded something like this you know something like that but i knew it was was from a a humanoid being that it was a language and it woke me up and there was two to my right and the the third et was to my left and the one behind me to the right had a cylindrical object in his hand so i looked up and i said oh it's only you guys i said i love you and they put me back out again. So, I mean, what do you say to beings that come to heal you when one of the worst situations anybody could have, where I'm a hiker, a backpacker, and I mean, I backpacked around the world by age 25 to over 40 countries. So I, I you know, I'm used to climbing mountains and stuff, and here I'm stuck. So. Uh, I, you know, the two highest forms of adulation in the universe is God bless you and I love you. God and love are synonymous. So uh, when I woke up the next morning, ten and a half hours of very restful sleep took place. They put me out and made sure. So I had zero pain other than a pressure in my back. So I sat there at the edge of the bed praying for 15 minutes, thanking God over and over and over again. Uh, 
and giggling to myself like a little kid. And there I was. I got up and I walked to the bathroom. I noticed my gait was short. There was a pulling in my back if I tried to do a regular full stride. And uh, so that kind of baffled me. And I said, well, that'll heal in time, apparently. But I stayed home all day just I was no longer depressed and, and uh, no longer had hit a stone wall, so to speak, you know, and uh, I, I was healed. Well, the second night they came again and uh, they said, we have one more healing for you. I said, thank you. Come ahead. And uh, the next morning I was normal. So uh, about three weeks went by. And this doctor that I had been seeing that said this is the worst case I've ever, ever seen in all my years, you know, as a doctor, um, I wanted to go away for the weekend. And they didn't have ATMs back then and all this stuff. And I didn't have any money on me. I said, oh, gosh, I meant to get to go to the bank. And when I looked at the clock, because I was going to be camping and traveling over the weekend, uh, I was on a Friday night. The bank closed at 5. And I had to quickly drive into town uh, because it was quarter after four. And I was quite a ways into the, I think, 13 miles away on a very windy road. So it took a while to get in town, and it was 10 minutes to five when I parked my car. So I had to jog one block. And I ran and jogging all the way until the, I had to stop because I uh, the, had to cross the street, and the, on the other side was the bank. But coming from the other side of the street was the doctor walking, watching me jog. And he stood there. His mouth kept moving, but he never could say anything. He kept his ball headed and he kept patting his head and holding on to his top of his head, <clears throat> looking at me, pointing, but he couldn't ever, he never spoke one word. And I said, Good to see you again, Doc. I said, You have a good weekend. And I jogged the rest of the way across the street to the bank, and he just stood there with his mouth open still. So that I mean, the miraculous healing. You know, those kind of stories are consistent through. This is once again, it shows up in both. I mean, this is I. It shows up in the UFO stuff. Right um, now, I went and uh, went down to San Francisco to the Whole Life Expo because I was asked to speak, and that was a month later. But my back still was a tiny, tiny bit sore. I mean, it, I'm I was fine walking and everything. But I drove down. Some, a friend of mine accompanied me, and we drove down. And I, had to, I sat on a pillow because part of my coccyx had been damaged as well. But sitting, driving, uh, who knows, 2,000 miles round trip or something, or maybe 800 miles each way, I don't know. But quite a ways, and uh, my back started to hurt again. Uh, not nowhere near like before, but... On a scale of one to ten, maybe a two. And I said, don't tell me this thing's coming back. I, I, it was just last month they healed me. So uh, when I got home, it seemed to get worse because, again, I sat in the car just sitting. You wouldn't think that would do it, but the weight on there uh, wasn't good. So I went out that night on the deck. It was, I still remember, it was ten minutes to eleven. And... Uh, this was in 1987, and I had my bathrobe on. I was just looking around before I go to bed, and there's a spaceship right there. So I telepathed to it, 
and I repeated myself three times and said, you know, you, would you please come and heal me? It's time to come back. And, you know, I, it, it was so agonizing before and, uh, and debilitating that, uh, please come. So this, you know, this won't happen again. So, uh, I never got an answer. So I went inside and went to bed and I thought, well, as soon as I shut the light off, they'll be there just like before. Well, it didn't happen. It did not happen. So about 35 minutes went by and, uh, uh, I was laying there in bed and I wasn't quite asleep and this energy in the room all of a sudden got strong and I turned and there was a seven to seven and a half foot female shamanist there. And, uh, she says, I'm here to heal you. And this energy, whatever it was from her, uh, was channeled into my lower back and it like hit my lower back. It didn't hurt or nothing, but you know, it was a beam with an energy that it, uh, I could feel, you know, something going on. And it went up my spine to my head, back down to my spine, up to my head again and down. And then it hovered right at my spine and, uh, stayed there. And I would, I was limping a little bit, not much, but a little bit, uh, at that time. And that's why I panicked and did. I just didn't want to go through that again. And, uh, the next morning I woke up and I was normal. Very interesting. Very interesting. So but now the other shaman, uh, Haloti that I befriended, uh, I used to interact with her in, in the, uh, Kayamishi wilderness in Southeast Oklahoma. I did this for about four years. And, um, the last time I was there was, uh, let's see, 2012. They asked me through someone that was living in Dallas, they appeared to her, the, uh, chief of their tribe, uh, his, uh, name was Pushoma. And uh, he said, we need to talk with Dream Man. They referred to me as Dream Man, not Kiwoni, because they said I'm a, a visionary that's ahead of my time. So they, that's their nickname for me. And they said, ask Dream Man to come. We need him here now. So it took me two weeks to get everything together. I, I was in the middle of stuff. And I, I wish I'd have left in a couple of days because by the time I got to Dallas, my friend picked me up and drove me the five hours just over the line into the wilderness and then picked me up 10 days later. But what happened was uh, Pushoma was asked to go off planet. So and he's in, these are ancient ones now, and they referred to me as family. They said, you're family. I don't know how many times they said that. So... Uh, the, when I got there, he wasn't there and, uh, uh, it was some emergency or something and he had to go. So they were going to take me underground to a meeting to meet some elders and to discuss all of this. And I knew they already told me where they live, where this place is on the map. I found it and, uh, it's a big chamber underground, tremendous chamber. So, uh, Haloti started coming to me every single night I was there. She, I would hear her around nine o'clock approaching me and she'd let me know 
by singing the whippoorwill song. Now the whippoorwill, I couldn't, these beings can uh, imitate almost anything, but I didn't realize it was her, but it was getting closer and closer. And I said, whippoorwills don't walk close to people and get closer and closer. Were you also hearing um, footsteps in the forest stuff? No, no, no footsteps. And it was still light out, you know, gray out. It was in the month of May. And um, so she walked up to the tent and said it was her and, and sang the whippoorwill song to me. She did this every single night. In fact, one night she came about five minutes late and I started to drift off a little bit. And she walked right, instead of being 10 feet from the tent, she walked right up and I had the windows there, you know, of this big walk-in tent. And she did it so loud. I, she did not mean to do it. I knew, cause she told me later. But I jumped. I mean, it was like somebody turning up a volume and pressing a button on your recorder of some something loud, you know. And so she backed away and next day she she uh, next night when she came she stood about 15 feet away because she didn't want to startle me that wasn't her intention at all so i i this happened every single day and there was another being there and he was a little aggressive i still didn't know who he was but he could sure move around my tent and make these unbelievable noises and I told him, whoever this being was, that uh, I'm a friend of Pishoma and and Halodis, and that uh, I'm here because of that. He probably already knew that. I don't know who he was or what he was, but he was different, something very, very, very different, and on two legs, incidentally. So uh, the last night there, Halodi came to me and sang the Whippoorwill song, and I told her, chances are, because of earth changes and possibly martial law or something in the very near future, that I, that's probably the last time that I'd ever be down there. And she cried. And uh, I had the alarm set for 7 in the morning so my friend could pick me up. I mean, it's a rough, rough road, almost like a trail. So I could get up and break the tent down and all this and then... We'd go have breakfast and then take me to the airport, uh, to Dallas. So, but Haloti came six o'clock in the morning and sang the Whippoorwill song again, and she was crying again. I kept telling her I loved her, and she told me she loved me. And um, then I was told that she moved up here because she wanted to be near me. And um, I, I regret asking her for a hug that last day. I Somehow I spaced it out. I never got a hug from any of them, but I sure would like to. And I mean, I genuinely love them. It's a, Oh, that comes, that's very clear in your writings, yeah. Um, wow. So here's, a, so let me rephrase the question I put to you earlier. We presently in my opinion, are living in, in a world, a society, that is adrift. Somehow it is adrift. And my sense is that we, we live, you know, Western man uh, lives in a realm without, 
the shaman, without the shaman playing the role in our lives that, that may have once been played uh, in, a, in a more traditional or more um, ancient culture. Right, and his insights and spiritual insights were respected. And now, I mean, it's, again, as you're saying, it's not like that at all. And um, the, uh, you know, now it's big corporations and the medical mafia and their, their fake cures and stuff, and it's all drugs uh, and so forth. So it's, you know, we don't have any of that anymore, and that what you're talking about. So my sense is, and just comment on this, and this is kind of, I, it's, I had a very strange couple, last couple of days, a lot of conversations, and all of it was reinforcing this idea that, um, you know, presently we are adrift without shamans. And um, this fellow, Joe Lules, um, and I had a phone conversation, and I, and I took some notes, and, I, and he said, um, which I thought was brilliant, he said, we need shamans, and if society doesn't provide them, the universe will. And my sense is that that is what's happening with some percentage of the people who are having the contact experience, perhaps a very high percentage, is that they are now emerging as healers or psychics or, or um, uh, you know, hypnotherapists um, and playing that role that, that has been ignored. Well, I am a shaman. I don't advertise it. I certainly don't put it on my... Uh, business card. I think it's a little too ostentatious. However, uh, the I was trained by a Ojibwe shamaness, and I lived with her, and I studied overall for two years, and uh, teaching me. And uh, the times that I need to do this, I do it. And uh, But keep in mind, the ETs and the the Sasquatch people and other forest peoples are attracted to healers, to shamans in our society. Why? They're mostly the light workers. Uh, why is that? Because they have a high vibrational frequency. What does that mean? It means they're de- they're compassionate. They're devoted to helping people and the planet and. Uh, they're always reaching out to others, which I do a lot. And uh, um, that's, it raises your spiritual vibration in order to, uh, you know, be a, a little higher being on the planet on some form. And i do not trying to say I'm better than everyone else. Each person has their own gifts. Each person has uh, their own empowerment and strength if they want to use it and we need their talents and gifts. So uh, these, I'm finding out with other contactees uh, that as we share stuff together, they've got stuff that I don't understand and, and vice versa. So we share. So I'm learning all the time. As much as I, I'm sharing and what I know, I'm still learning. I'm still a student of the universe. Wonderful, wonderful, and and uh, and I, why did I know that? Why did I know that you were a shaman? I don't think you mentioned it in the book at all. Um, no. And uh, okay, very even my my Navajo Indian wife, my ex-wife, uh, one day she had a problem, and it had to do the side of her head, and she couldn't didn't understand what that meant. It was almost it was like a, a dull ache. It was all on one side. And it bothered her 
uh, for the whole day. And when she got back from work, she told me about it. And I, she says, oh, there's nothing you can do. I don't understand it. Maybe it'll go away tonight. And I said, I can help you right now. She said, okay, what, what are you going to give me some herbs? I'm a master herbalist. And I said, no, just sit down. And I took a chair from the uh, dining room table and put it in the middle of the room and asked her to sit down. And then I got a big bowl, like a big salad bowl, and filled it with warm water. And I did a ceremony that took 10 minutes. And I did it over her head. And when I got through and I cleared myself to make sure that her energy didn't come on to me while I was clearing her, and I turned around and walked back, and I was finished. And she looked at me and said, what did you do? I felt it immediately. You never told me you could do this. And all, you know, all this time, and I said, I never needed to. I don't, now I needed to, so I'll tell you. But I don't need to tell people every little thing. And I said, I, I just uh, want to be, uh, uh, you know, I'm sort of a conservative radical <laughs> in the sense that uh, my, I'm not mainstream healing healer, but uh, uh, I am conservative in many ways, and I'm very serious-minded in what I do. And for 37 years that I've been doing healing work, I still buy the DVDs, buy the books, buy the journals, and I still study. Why? Because I want to be a better healer today than I was yesterday. I'm dealing with another human being's life. And when I work with people and help people, I do it by spirit, mind, and body, the whole person. Not body, mind, and spirit. We still think in those terms, body, mind, and spirit. The body is, is temporary. The spirit is, is ever-present that's uh, been with us. So it's the soul self, the spirit that we go to first that's carried over from other lifetimes some of these problems and diseases. And so they start to manifest in, uh, in us. But we can clear them with our minds and therefore it'll go away. We can alter all of that. The thing is, we're not taught that. The Sasquatch have been teaching me and mentoring me at a different level now for nine years. And because I'm working with these other contactees, they've shifted again to a higher level. And this year, I've been taken 12 to 14 times. I lost track, I'm not sure. But uh, more than 10 times aboard, and they said, at night, then, I, then they bring me back, and they said, we're, we're uh, upgrading you so you'll be more attuned to working with us and the new energy that's on the planet and shifting. Uh, plus, it'll make you more psychic. So we're adjusting all of that. And have you felt more psychic, and had you felt like your ability to, uh, to, to heal or is, is heightened? Well, on some level, yes. Uh, I'm... Uh, doing some techniques that they've asked me to do and uh they they never say you better do this or whatever you know it's not like that what it is it's they say uh uh if if you can if you want help this will this can help you and this and that but you generally have to ask them for help they don't just say oh hey let me take care of that or hey i'll tell you what it's about no 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 they they don't, and when I ask them, well, how come, i got to ask you, they said, because we need your permission to do anything. So that's, that's extremely important to them.
This has been great. Hey, um, I'm looking at the clock here. I'm shocked. I am, I am shocked. We've gone for just about an hour, a little over an hour. Uh, how are you holding? I'm on? okay. If you have more questions. Oh, I got more questions. Oh. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm not. We're gonna. We're not gonna. Well, yeah, the, the, I'm not gonna run out of questions here. Hey, um, uh, at some point here, I may tip a little bit and ask some personal questions about myself. I'm just very curious, and I'm doing this in a public forum, in a way, because because uh, I have had. Um, I've had readers, you know, email me or contact me and thank me for for uh, this these experiences that I have had uh, have been challenging for me, and I recognize that they're challenging for a lot of people. And so some of this stuff will I'll come across maybe as selfish on my part, but um, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of reap the benefits of of having you on the phone right now, I guess. Um, but before I do that, let me just ask That's fine. That's my job to share my knowledge or experiences. If people don't believe me, then that's fine. I don't I'm not you know, I don't force anything. I don't need to. I'm too busy experiencing the stuff to uh you know, to argue with people. I will not argue with anyone. I they I think that uh they should just do more uh uh Follow my protocol and, and stop the aggression <laughs> is my uh, answer. Okay, so here's a question for you. This is coming for me personally. I've had a lot of owl experiences. I don't know the reason why. Um, presently, I, I sense that I'm very um, I'm doing this research and I'm very focused. I get up in the morning and I research owls and I get owl reports from people and I write up these reports and I'm trying to put it in a book form. And so I'm very. It makes sense that that I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm putting a lot of owl intention out into the world. I'm getting a lot of owl experiences back. But what would be, how do I interpret the the role of the owl? I mean, these are real owls. I know there's there's uh, screen memories that get reported. I'm quite convinced what I'm dealing with is real owls. Um, how should I interpret the the role of the owl, whether as a totem animal or, or you know, what, you know, I, it's... I'm struggling, I guess, with try, trying to make sense of such a simple question. Well, um, I, I'm a little unsure myself. I'm going to say this. Uh, owls, you're always saying the wise owls, you know. Well, who knows? I mean, they're, that's just a, a uh, uh, super imposition onto an animal that's not wise. He may be, all animals are wise for what they instinctually have, you know, in that sense. But uh, so it's not like, well, you know, it's telling you anything to be wise or whatever, or that you're going to be wise. Um, my feeling is this, uh, that you might have a shapeshifter there and that they're trying to communicate with you on some level. Because this is not, this is like visual communication on some level. Okay, and, and, and how do I interpret the message, what they're trying to communicate? Um, wherever you're at, I would, if you're seeing an owl, I'd hang out where the owls are. I mean, you know what I mean, and camp out or whatever you can do. Okay. Then I would telepath. I would visualize the owl and sit in my tent, sit under a tree in the evening before you go to bed and, or, you know, supper time if you're 
even if there's three, three, four hours of daylight left. I mean, I've seen owls in the daytime a lot, you know. Yes, so, I, uh, yep. uh, just uh, telepath, visualize them, and just say uh, something like, I mean this. As long as you're holding on to that image, that visualization, uh, you can telepath and say, uh, you know, um, dear owl, uh, please come and share a spiritual message. God bless you. And repeat that. Keep it very, very, very short. And if a Sasquatch is in the area and hears you, he might, uh, not all Sasquatch can shapeshift, but if it's one that can, then he would into an owl and come to you. Okay. I mean, that sounds very simple. And I have done some things like that. And where I have, where you I need to let go of all your fear. That's an issue. Okay. Now this is, so there, that is an issue. Now the, I am this, these experiences uh, are less challenging for me now, but boy, I just turned the clock back a couple of years. I was a, I was an emotional mess trying to make sense of what was going on in my life. And um, uh, presently I'm a little more at peace but still, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And, I, and how do I clear that up? How do I proceed forward in a, in a way that doesn't seem so distressing to me? Well, do you meditate? Very rarely. Okay. There's a way to meditate. And the Sasquatch people and ancient ones, I got off meditation for a while. And I started in 1972. Yeah, and I've been doing the research for 57 years now, 57 years. So, yeah, the meditation, they keep saying that uh, uh, you've stopped meditating. You, you know, it's important to meditate and to uh, stay grounded. One of the things that's important for you to meditate, which I meditate now, but I, I got off of it for a few months, and... Uh, I let my busy schedule get the best of me, you know. But here's the scoop. Prayer is talking to God, meditating and quieting the mind and the chatter, the intellect, is listening to God. And it opens up this channel, and it keeps a person grounded. They should do this twice a day, before breakfast and sometime in the afternoon, late afternoon, or right before dinner, or right at bedtime. And uh, uh, to stick with that, some people say, oh, I, I can't fit it into my schedule, and, uh, but I'd sure like to learn how to meditate. You know, then my answer to that is, well, meditation's more important than anything that you're doing. So therefore, uh, set up when you think you'd like to meditate, and then work your schedule around the meditation. I said, that's how important it is. And uh, I said, so I'm really overemphasizing it to a degree, but that's how important it is. So uh, here's what a person can do. This I've experimented with many different meditations from gurus in India and all over. And the, the one that the Zen Buddhists often use is breathing in. You inhale and say the word Hong, H-O-N-G, just like in Hong Kong. Then when you exhale, you say the word saw, like a saw, except it's spelled S-A-U. So Hong saw. 
Hong Sa. And you do it to yourself, not out loud. And you do it based on your breath. So pretty soon, within a couple of minutes or five minutes, your breath will be so slow that you'll be doing Hong Sa. Hong Sa. And people say, well, gee, there's chatter all the time. I, I, I keep, you know, thinking of all this stuff. So I, can't, I don't know. I can't meditate. The answer to that is all meditators go through that. In fact, it never goes away other than through the years. The chatter, it's, it's easier to overcome the chatter uh, with the Hong Sa. That's the mantra. The mantra is meant to break up the intellect to get you to a deeper level into the unconscious and to, to the superconscious, the connection to the universe. So Edgar Casey had a meditation where he said, the meditation, the, the mantra is the question. Uh, should I move to Los Angeles in August? And you repeat that in a sort of a, uh, you know, a robotic, not quite, but, you know, in a slow, monotonous way and, and, uh, and let go of it for a few minutes. Then when you start thinking, you do it again and people get answers, but you have to understand that you can't run and do it. And well, I tried to let you last night. It didn't work. Well, try, you know, you ask the same question for doing this twice a day for, two, three, four days or a week, and you will get the answer. The first time I did it, I got the answer, and boy, it shocked me. And how did the answer come? In, in... Uh, I call it feeling telepathy, um, clairsentience, uh, because that's how it comes through, but it comes through so strong that you absolutely know that's the answer. You'd argue with anybody about it. And I've had that experience in many, well, uh, multiple times in my life, uh, more so recently. It seems to have all clustered, you know, within the last few years. And um, it comes in, like I'll get like what I call a um, psychic flash. Like I will have a very clear, very visual experience and, and a sense of absolute knowing. And then I will check on it and I realize it's correct. And, and it has always been somehow associated with this UFO stuff. And it's sometimes odd little details, sometimes very profound things, but sometimes just curious little odd, you know, what almost seem mundane things. Um, yeah, I would, yes, but, uh, excuse me again here, but the, uh, if a person meditates, they start gaining, in a sense, spiritual psychic powers. Uh, Edgar Casey says, don't try to be psychic, just work on being spiritual. The other will come on its own, but you must focus on the spiritual stuff and, and you're wanting to be selfless and wanting to reach out and uh, these kinds of things. And, uh, uh, you know, it's difficult. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's something that it either means a lot to you or it doesn't. And if it means a lot to the right person, then they'll do it. For example, I've always wanted to, to go all over the world. And I told my mother that, I, I think I was 19 or something, and, you know, I got along great with my mom. She was very encouraging about stuff and everything. And she stopped me. She surprised me. She said, oh, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do that? She said, well, it takes a lot of money and stuff. A lot of rich people do that. And, and again, 
we sure weren't poor. But I thought, what do you mean? And I, you know, she was like discouraging me. And, and she said, oh, just then when she said something about, well, you need to settle down, you know, and get married and stuff and stay here. And then I knew that's the reason that she was saying what she did. But my point in saying that my mother uh, tried to discourage me, she just wanted me around to have a family and have grandchildren and that kind of thing. But um, at age 20, in the middle of winter, when there was 15 inches of snow, and as soon as the ice and snow melted on the road, and this is in Massachusetts, right on the Vermont border, uh, and there was another storm on the way, I packed up my things. I was 20 years old. I put my Cadillac I had at the time in the garage, and I bought a motorcycle, and I took off. In the middle of winter, it was February, and I drove to Florida. And then, stopping all over along the way, and went into the Everglades and everywhere, and then across uh, to California and down into Mexico. So I was 20 years old. So I decided that I, if a person wants something bad enough, they'll go and do it. If you want to meditate bad enough, you'll do it. If you want to get the results in your patient. It took me a while to save some of the monies and stuff, but I went all over the world to over 40 countries, and I lived in England, East Africa, Japan. I immigrated to Australia from Japan, and then later when I went back to get another degree, I, I uh, lived on the Amazon. So uh, these are things I've always wanted to do. In fact, I've been to Latin America four times, uh, twice to the Amazon, and I've eaten eaten piranhas and monkeys and armadillos and and just you know was that Machu Picchu all of these things that people talk about today uh, in the 60s and, and 70s I achieved all this because I wanted to so if a person says I'm going to do this and that and they never do apparently they didn't want to do it bad enough because I had to save the money I had to study I had to figure out. Uh, you know, what I needed, and I had to understand these countries. I didn't want to walk into something and get myself killed, you know. Mm -hmm. So here I was, someone that, uh, uh, you know, never went anywhere, did anything, but that drive was so powerful that I did it. So the person wants these experiences with the Sasquatch people, with the ETs and stuff, or in your case, trying to interact with owls, uh, meditation lays the foundation, the telepathy that is visualizing them and, 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 you know, 10 times, maybe every hour, say it before you go to climb into the tent and, and send them love from your heart. You must shift from your intellect, from your head down into your heart. That's very critical when you do this work. So you may have some powerful experiences. It, it depends how bad you want them. So, and it's uh, and there is a push and pull where partially I do want them and partially I'm a, I'm a little uh, fearful. Uh, fearful of what? Oh, the unknown. The the I mean, there's within the UFO abduction lore and things like that. There's certainly some scary stories, and and I'm the the owls have been uh, equated very much in my mind in my research and 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 is you know they seem to be hand in hand with this contact experience or overlapping or blurring somehow so um 
you know, it feels like if I like the owls and the UFO contact experience to me have somehow blended together. Well, they told me let go of all fear in exchange for love and trust. If you're holding on to love and trust, said there will be no fear. And that fear is only whatever you're holding on to in your life, your fear or childhood traumas or whatever, you will be projecting that to them, even though you're not even thinking about it. Yep. They will read you. They're extremely profound psychically to a point where uh, some of the stuff they did in front of me was magical. I mean, of course, I knew they were using quantum physics at a higher level, but they want to teach me some of these things, and they want me to study with them and to move to where they have a major tribe uh, to study and then to write my third book at, at, at Third Direction. Okay, so here's a question. This shows up in the book, and I've always wondered about this, and I've never really known who to ask, and I'm going to ask you, what is map dowsing? Well, map dowsing is simply uh, using, everyone has the power, but only a few people show it. Um, so uh, the these are involuntary muscles that make the pendulum move. You don't move it yourself. So you would take a small pendulum, like a like a crystal on a chain, let's say. Yeah, and that's what I have, and and I'm a professional at. I've taught it to professional people, even, and uh, I've used it to locate missing persons, uh, criminals, uh, animals. And so, and so and, what are you um, what are you actually doing? I just want to like a, like a, I'm I'm just trying to visualize what you're doing. Do you have a paper map in front of you? I'll explain all that. Okay. Yes, uh, you. Like a person said they lost their pet. So I said, I need a picture of the pet. And I studied with someone that was doing this for 35 years back, way back uh, uh, in the 70s and 80s. And uh, he was a mentor. He taught me all this using a map. And also, I don't need a map at times. Uh, I don't know anything about mechanics. That's not my field. Once my car broke down, I took out my pendulum and asked it to point, you know, what, what was wrong. And it pointed to an, uh, to an area. And um, uh, then I asked, well, what's wrong with it? <clears throat> and they told me, somebody told me. So I went and tapped on the side and the, uh, uh, the gas was uh, uh Somehow I got some old gas and there was some particles in it and it got clogged. And when I tapped it, it just un unclogged it and it started immediately. So the pendulum can be very, very handy. Uh, back in 1984, working with the state police at the direction of the district attorney in Roseburg, Oregon, uh, I found the most wanted criminal in the state of Oregon. And uh, it made international headlines and uh, my picture and all that stuff. And then I had a letter of, uh, of gratitude from them, uh, explaining what I did and everything. But the guy was catching teenage girls and raping them and chopping them up. Oh my literally. Lord. So he's still rotting in prison and, uh, we got rid of him. So I only want to help society so a pendulum shows direction. Uh, 
you can do, I can do this on an anatomical uh, map of the body and ask someone, uh, ask if the picture was there or a person sitting in front of me uh, without them telling me anything. I can ask, where's the imbalance in this person's body? And it'll point there. So it takes a while to trust and to build this up because people say, oh, I bet it's this and that. No, no, that's intellectual stuff. It has nothing to do with dowsing. And it's like a, your mind's like a computer, garbage in, garbage out. For example, when I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'd only been dowsing for two years. And, uh, and that was, again, now it's been 35 years. So I, my girlfriend and I at the time and I stopped to visit a, a friend of mine, a couple, and there was just a lady at home. And we sat around talking and all this stuff and uh, there was a huge dog there that I was very fond of, and he was uh, a collie, a big collie dog, uh, a lot of hair and so forth, a lot of fur, and he was sleeping, and all of a sudden, my girlfriend started to gasp, and it sounded like an asthmatic attack, wheezing and gasping for air, and her eyes started to get big, and her, her face got red, and I said, are you all right? She says, do you have allergies or something? She says, no, I, I don't. And uh, the other woman said, oh, maybe it's the dog. And she says, no, my, my folks have a dog, and when I go over there, uh, I, this has never happened. So I said, just a minute. And I took out my pendulum, and I said, is the dog causing the asthmatic, uh, this, uh, re, uh, asthmatic attack or this uh, reaction? And it said, no. And I thought, something here is. So I repeated it three times. Is the dog causing this? It said, no. So I sat there thinking. I said, this, I don't feel comfortable with that answer. So then I said, is the dander on the dog causing that? It nearly leaped out of my hand to a yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I have a, I'm actually holding it right in my hand. I have a little crystal pendulum on a chain. And I will occasionally ask it yes or no questions. And I get it in for... Uh, yes, it seems to swing back and forth, or excuse me, from away from me and towards me. And for no, it swings side to side. Sometimes and, they go clockwise or counterclockwise for these. If they are, you go along with what it is. Don't try to ever force it. Yeah, it's and and I and I and I am cautious to trust it too much, you know. So I just well, and sometimes I'll get answers I don't like. And I'm like, dang, and I'm like, wait a minute, let me re-ask this. And, and, and then I will actually, what I have asked it is I've asked it, should I trust you to the pendulum? And boy, it says no in great big, in a great big swinging. And then I will ask, are you interpreting my own higher self or my own subconscious? And it will give me a great big yes. Um, so, you know, oftentimes I won't be able to answer questions that I, you know, like, that may be happening on the other side of the world and, and it'll, it'll give me an answer that I don't like. And so, uh, yeah, this very interesting. Cause I have had some, I've had some very weird experiences. So let me say very powerful experiences using this little crystal pendulum. And I don't use it that often, but I will, I will kind of play fact checker and I will, um, you know, cause in this research, I, I feel like I, you know, like, wow, should I go down this Avenue or this Avenue? And I'll just ask a few questions of the pendulum and it, and it seems to be very beneficial. Okay, uh, I have a story for you um, uh, attached to this to the pendulum. Uh, in 1979, in January, I, at the Wisconsin Society for Psychical Research, I took a course in the pendulum. And uh, 
I, out of 14 people, I was the, the most gifted in the class. It was once a week, and the second week there, uh, he said, we're having a test. I thought, what's he talking about? We didn't hardly do anything last time, and, you know, we're still learning how to use this. But he laid out a picture of a guy, just a little square picture from a newspaper. And uh, he said, get out uh, a map of the United States. We, he made sure all of the people had an atlas, road atlas, and uh, ask where this person is and then go to the state where he is and sh- tell me where he is. I thought, what? I can't do that. And everyone looked around and looked at him, and he said, you guys can do it. Just go ahead. So I went ahead and did what he taught me from the week before, and it pointed to Wisconsin, and then it pointed to in the middle of Lake Michigan. I said, well, <laughs> that's, that's, see, I can't do it, you know, kind of thing. So he went around to the different people, and when he came to me in the class, he said, what'd you get? And I said, I didn't get anything. I said, it's way off. He said, what are you talking about? What did you get the first time? I said, well, right up here, uh, uh, off Green, Green Bay, way up here, I says, out in the, the, uh, the Lake Michigan. He said, that's exa- you got it. That's exactly where he is. I said, what? He said, yeah. The guy's from Iowa. He got in a balloon and was going to go across the United States in one of these air balloons, and the wind shifted and blew him into Lake Michigan, and he couldn't control the, the stuff, and he landed right in the lake. So within one minute, he was dead because it was January, and again, they never found his body, but they found... Uh, see, he did that, and then he contacted the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, not the Navy, but the... Uh, oh, the Coast Guard, which, yeah, I Coast Guard, Michigan, rather, sure, that yep. on Lake Michigan, and they went out there, and they found the balloon, and part of the basket was, you know, sticking out of the water. Very interesting. So, when I found, when I was so accurate at these things that I became his assistant and finding things. However, uh, in the meantime, I went on a Bigfoot expedition to Oregon from Wisconsin based on my dowsing skills. Uh, I had two other, three other people who were dowsers doused after I doused, but would not tell them what I got. And I asked, I said, I'm not going to tell you the other people in the team. I never told one person what the other did or who they were or anything. And I had four maps, topographic maps. First, I had a map of Oregon. And then I asked a certain question and then I laid out a map four maps, topographic maps, you know, they're quadrants. It shows all the features and all, every one of us got exactly the same place. I thought this is asking where the Sasquatch are. So, cause nobody knows where to go, right? This is 1979. So I took two weeks off from work. I was an administrator working at a first nations, uh, agency. And, uh, I uh, hired a, a wilderness guide to take me out to the area, pick me up at the airport, drive me out, pick up food on the way, and then bring me in, and then pick me up two weeks later. One of the days I was out there, I started to explore an area, and I'd found tracks and everything, and it's all in my first book. 
the Mount Hood Wilderness Experiment. So I was experimenting. But when I was exploring around this mountain, I got turned around. And I have, I have wilderness skills. I've been doing this for my whole life. At age 10, I started to explore and just take off into the woods, and even though I didn't know where I was, and it, it didn't bother me. So all of a sudden, I realized it was going to be dark in about 30 minutes. It get darker and darker, and I can't find anything. I can't find my way back to the tent. And I thought, I've got to go this way, I think. And then I kept going, to use your pendulum. And I thought, well, no, I think I know where to go now. And then I said, stop it. I have to really talk to myself. I says, it's going to be dark. And I says, it's 35 degrees out here at night, and uh, you've got no equipment. What are you going to do, freeze to death? So you've got to trust something and do what you were taught. So I got out my pendulum, and I stood there, and I asked, and I visualized my tent just visualized everything that was there in 10 feet up where my food was hanging. And it pointed 45 degrees away. And I said, that's not correct. And I thought, how do you know you didn't follow through? And I took a couple steps forward and I couldn't believe it. I was going to drop off a 10 foot cliff. It was all bushes there. I couldn't see it. And, uh, so I turned and went to 45 degrees, and within five minutes, I was maybe less than five minutes, I was right there at my tent. Yep, that's it's very and I, that that sensation of needing to trust right in the moment. Right. Another time, I was in the deep wilderness again. In uh, uh, it was in Oregon, and uh, I got stuck out there, and there was still some snow. I went higher than I should at the time. It was in April, but there was still you know, two feet of snow in some areas. And the trail that I normally take in the summertime was covered with snow. And I, all of a sudden, everything looked different. So I got stuck and I'm trying to find my way out. And, uh, you know, I'm not fearful of stuff like that. I, I keep my head. I'm very, very cool. So I took out my pendulum and it pointed, but, uh, it pointed towards a cliff. So I climbed this, uh, 60, 70 foot cliff and got to the top and kept walking. You know, it goes as the crow flies. It doesn't take you around the, the easy way. And uh, uh, being that I stayed in good shape all my life, that I, it, it was easy to do all this. And I walked right out, though I didn't recognize until I stepped out and there I was right beside the car. I visualized my car. So the, the, the pendulum can be used for a lot of things, and I used it to help find the Sasquatch people. Now I don't need to do that. Uh, they're with me all the time, and uh, I don't need to go to them. They come to me, so I don't use that anymore for that, you know? Very interesting, because so now here, I just I just was like, there's one question I wanted to ask, and I was a little bit self-conscious about should I ask it. So while we were talking, I took my pendulum out, and I said, you know, I wrote down on a piece of paper, um, you know, will this offend Kiwoni if I ask this question? And it gave me a great big no, so I'm going to ask it. Uh, we, you and I, sat together side by side along with Kim Carlsberg and Yvonne Smith on the stage on the last day of the conference. And uh, we did a Q&A with uh, people from the audience. And, and it was interesting, and I felt a little bit like we were, we were representing the, the experiencers. 
And um, this was very new for me to do something like that, like to sit on a stage and, and talk like that. I mean, whew, I mean, I've done it on these audio things, but I've never sat on a stage. So uh, that was a big deal for me. But you were uh, next to me, and then Kim was next to you, and, and, uh, and then Yvonne was the furthest away there. And um, so I had the chance to, you know, where the way the chairs were set up, I was looking at your, your, you know, when Kim was talking or when you were talking, you were addressing the audience who you were looking straight out. And when I looked at you, I was looking at your profile. And I have to say, you have a very striking profile. And what I want to comment on is your forehead. The descriptions of the Sasquatch will often have a very uh, defined... uh, Sloping forehead. Yes, and you share you you have a a forehead that um that uh my forehead if I was was is straight up and down and yours tilts back enough that that it was very striking and I thought I remember just thinking right in the moment like I have to at one day ask him about this if you've ever noticed that or ever uh, thought about this yeah I I never knew I had it till I was seventeen you know nobody ever said anything to me and oh and, and you it's um, very, how do you look in the mirror sideways sure yeah but well I had. Uh, for the, that summer after graduation, I uh, went on a vacation uh, to the ocean shores, and they, they had an artist there that was doing sketches of people. And they said, oh, yeah, I'll do your profile. So I yeah, okay, I've never had anybody do that. So I said, this is cool. And after I saw my profile, I said, well, I think she got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, then I saw that, you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, they told me that my soul is that of an ancient one and that there's many different people, humans, regular humans on this planet that are uh, Sasquatches and ancient ones and ETs that have come in to push society ahead because they're stuck in materialism and it needs to be exposed. And uh, so those people that are on the fence will come over into the spiritual path and and that's what they want us to do, the light workers to do. I mean, my sense is that there's a, there's a connection between your I mean, this, between your profile and right. the profile of, of what uh, people report when they see uh, Sasquatch. Yeah, uh, when I was uh, uh, autographing my book, many other places around the United States, uh, conferences, uh, a couple of people said, gee, uh, you're a Sasquatch. And I said, pardon? They says, uh, your head, you're a Sasquatch. And uh, so I think it's fine. You know, it's, it's certainly not a distortion or anything like that. It's, it's me, and I'm, uh, I'm proud of me. I'm happy with me. And I, it sort of made sense. People were saying that, but I, uh, it made me wonder. Uh, they sent me a dog, a black lab, I didn't know they did until after 13 years later after he died. But the lab was telepathic and read my mind from when he was seven weeks old. He, I'd tell him to do stuff, and he'd do it. And I said, well, what a coincidence that is. Because I never trained him. I just talked to him, and he'd do it. So these kinds of things uh, come about, and uh, they, I kept thinking Comanche has a, my, my lab, uh, I think has a soul of a Sasquatch or something. Cause he, he loves the Sasquatch. Uh, dogs generally freak out or get aggressive. He loved them. He talked to them when they were right there with me. And, uh, 
uh, he talked to me and he, he, he was unbelievable. And that was very, that, that chapter. Of the, oh, that chapter of the book was very touching. I was very moved by, by when you talked about the dog and, 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 uh, Comanche and your relationship. I thought it was very beautiful. Yeah. He changed my life. He was one of my teachers and that's how evolved he was. So I, many people would see him and he'd be laying there and I said, what's the matter? Uh, your dog. I said, oh yeah. I said, he's real friendly. Uh, well, he, the way he looks at me, I mean, he can see right through me. I, 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 I don't, I'm going to go. <laughs> and they wouldn't get near him. Oh, that's sweet. Um, uh, of course, Anchi was reading his mind, you know. Yeah. Hey, so my point is that uh, maybe they uh, somehow, with my uh, shape of my profile and all that stuff, that uh, uh, maybe it was a necessity, maybe it was a gift. I don't know. But uh, I think everything's fine, and it's. Uh, there must be some association there, and if so, that's that's good. That's all right, you know. And uh, you know, and that's very, you know, I'm not sure what the association is, but I sure sensed it in the moment there, um, you know, um, sharing the stage with you. Hey, uh, this has been great. We've been going at it for an hour and forty five minutes. Um, let's. I was thinking, just maybe ask one one more question or so, and then we can wind it down. And yeah, that's fine. Okay, now here. So, um, I guess it'd be the last question I ask here. You know, what message would you have to the folks listening to this? And I will also add that if anyone makes it to these podcasts, so this is my sense anyway, is the folks that make it to this podcast are, um, uh, they're pretty far along the path. Let me put it that way. They're, they don't come to this, this uh, site for entertainment. They're coming here for a reason. So for those folks, what message would you have? Well, not to sound like Dr. Doom, but, you know, uh, they want us to prepare, you know, for the end more and to meditate, pray, and, you know, uh, uh, they want some of the light workers to move into the country and put some food away and stuff. So very pragmatically, just be prepared for, for potential hard times ahead. Right. And to let go of uh, all negativity. Because and, and, every time when a person has pain from arthritis, they have a tendency to focus on the pain and then they, they don't seem to get it, that it gets worse because whatever you focus on, that's what you get. I focus on owls and that's what I'm getting. Yeah. So I, I mean this, so this is, and they're teaching me stuff. I already known this. And I, I read Shakti Gawain's book, creative visualization back in, I think it was 1981 or 82 or something. And, and it, it you know, and I've read many other books similar and so I, uh, now they're saying this is absolutely real and to plug into it. Anyway, they're teaching me stuff to, to do that. And I would say to people, learn to meditate. It's not, doesn't have anything to do with religion or anything. It's, it will keep you grounded and calm and it'll make you more aware. It'll broaden and expand your awareness if you meditate twice a day and learn it. And uh, these this is the time to really resolve karmic issues. This is big time. They said a few years ago that because of 2012, like about five or seven years before and five to seven years after, something like that, uh, we're still in the, in, the, uh, in the energy field. So that if you... Uh, 
are resolving karma and you're working at that, you will get positive karma back threefold. If you're focusing on the negative and you're being negative to other people and harmful, it'll come back threefold in that area too. So they said these are the things that are happening because we're shifting to a higher dimensional level. The whole planet is, and apparently this is a cosmic event that happens. So if people really, really, really want to grow spiritually, then I would say probably the number one reason for us being here is to learn how to forgive. What a violent planet this is. What a bunch of jealous people. What a bunch of materialists. There's a lot of good people out there, but they get attached to this stuff. And uh, they say that none of that has any purpose, that you're down here for spiritual reasons, not to accumulate uh, material stuff or to start wars or to uh, kick your neighbor's butt because he looked at you the wrong way or something. This, this is not what it's about, but this is what we're being taught, you know. So I'm saying to the people listening out there that uh, work at your deficiencies. If there's some kind of dysfunctional behavior, work at it. Everybody has dysfunction. Why? Because we chose to borrow these bodies in order to learn lessons. Once the physical body wears out, we go back to where we're from originally. Uh, and that's why when people have near-death experiences, they want to get up afterwards and smack the doctor one because they loved it over there. It was a thousand times better. Why? Because it's where we're from. We bore these bodies to, in grief to come down to a place like this. Boy, there must be something wrong with me. Only kidding. But again, resolving uh, karma is important. And uh, walk in unconditional love and forgive Pray for your enemies, forgive people, and say it every day. I, if there's someone irritating me or something happened that I don't like, I say, uh, whatever, I'll make this up. Uh, I visualize the person, and then I say, uh, Jeff or something. I just made that up. Uh, uh, I forgive you and send you my love, prayers, peace, and God's blessing. And I repeat that three times. If it comes up again because he stole something from me or whatever, I keep saying it until when I think of him, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I used to know him. Oh, God bless him, you know, and, and so it doesn't bother you. This is, may seem petty. Uh, it may seem almost religious, but it's not. But it's very, this is the most important thing I could tell anyone while you're going through your physical life here, you know, but uh, this is some unbelievable things are going to happen and they will be happening in the next two years or year and a half. Some things may happen tomorrow, but I mean, it's going to build up to get worse and worse. I hate to say that, but it is my job to say it. I'm not Dr. Doom, but they also said, let go of every bit of fear you have. So if things are happening and you're at home, send love to everything around you. Even if, you know, your neighborhood is being infiltrated by a gang or something, just send love. And I mean it. It's, it's the most powerful thing, but you must mean it and have faith in that love. This is wonderful. Okay, this is... This I, is... I mean, I've had in Jamaica three guys. They were big guys, rippling muscles, and one of them had a long knife. 
by his side, hiding it from me. And the three of them approached me. I was in a marketplace and surrounded me and coming in more towards me. Hey, hey, man, what you doing here? This is our place. And I just thought, whoa, what am I going to do? So I took one step forward, put out my hand and said, you know, my name's Kiwoni. Gosh, I love your, your country. You're the friendliest people I've ever met. And all three of them jumped back and got nervous. I was sending them love. <laughs> you know, and I go, huh? And I, I make believe I didn't see his knife. You know, and I just smiled and walked towards him. He just didn't know how to handle love. So these things, this is how you do it. I don't mean walk out when there's an array of bullets and try to shake somebody's hand, you know. Sure, but I mean, yeah, and I agree that 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 um, that uh, the way I framed it for myself, and I read this a while ago, and I just I liked it, and I decided to sort of like trust it and kind of proceed forward and live my life like this. Uh, it was a little analogy someone wrote. If some scientist eventually invents a microscope that's so powerful that they can look down to actually the building blocks of what makes up the universe, that someday they will know that the building blocks are love. Like that's when you get right down to it, that's the material that everything is made out of is, is the energy of love. And I thought, well, that's about as nice a way to frame reality as, as anything I've ever heard. And so I've, in a way, I don't know if I've lived up to it, but I try to proceed forward like with that is the way I see the, you know, the world around me. Yes. And, um, I want to, uh, I'm going to read two quotes. One is from Pashoma, the chief. I asked him if he would write something for the people in the outer world. Uh, the most meaningful message that we need to hear. And this is what he said. Now, a few people say, Oh, I know all about stuff like that. Well, then why aren't you practicing it? What's wrong with the rest of the people in the world? <laughs> so this is what he said. He, he wrote this out himself and laid it out there. So uh, some of these ancient ones can write, but it's, it's really printing, and it's like a third or fourth grader. So, But this is what he wrote. I'm reading it verbatim. To Dream Man for a book, quote, no man is greater or less than any other. He's got that is, but he means there is but one God, the Father, the Creator. Do for others as you wish to do for you. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. I recognize that when I, when I read That's a balance it. of energy that we're supposed to be doing anyway. There in many spaces does God dwell. In other words, he's saying for himself, we have God in our world, in our dimensions, because it's all one God. Then he said, this is but one reality of untold many others. God bless all. We are all part of the whole. End quote. So this is from a being that these Sasquatch researchers or hunters are, want to kill because they're monsters. They're animals. That's very profound. It has nothing to do with these other people that are foolishly going around giving the wrong impression. Now, at the end of my book here, this is at the last chapter, and then I quoted uh, from a brilliant uh, person from Europe who uh, 
is named Irvin Laszlo. In the, his book, Quantum Shift in the Global Brain, How the New Scientific Reality Can Change Us and Our World. So this is what this it's interesting because this is what the Sasquatch want, but nobody's listening. So I say in the very end, this is to finalize or wrap up my talk. I, I'm going to say this is what Pashoma just said, I, what I just quoted, and what how his people think. And with his words, it appears that he is attempting to gently dissolve our anthropocentrism uh, because these basic statements are really a spiritual foundation for a more copacetic life. This should be our preoccupation as we approach 2012. Laszlo concludes, and I quote, and this is the end of very, very end of my book, and I quote, this quantum shift in the global brain is humanity's best chance that is to change uh, so we don't destroy our world that's be already being destroyed. And then he says, Margaret Mead, she, of course, anthropologist, Margaret Mead, Margaret Mead said, never, quote, never doubt the power of a small group of people to change the world. Nothing else ever has, end quote. And Laszlo goes on and continues by saying, small groups of people with an evolved consciousness will change the world if they grow into a critical mass in time. There could not be a nobler or more important task in our day than to empower this evolution, end quote. The, the, the message behind the phenomena is what I just said, basically. The, the phenomena is that let's go out and shoot them up. Uh, it's, and the, it's stop being violent and people work with each other and, and stop destroying the planet. And he has in his books, which I recommend, Irvin Laszlo, The Quantum Shift in the Global Brain is the, the name of one of his books. So he's a heavy-duty guy uh, that's into quantum physics. He's a, I think he's a physicist, but so the guy's a real spiritual intellectual, uh, same as myself in that sense, because... I put spirit first. I used to put the intellect first. I don't. You tell me all the answers are in your heart, not in your mind. So every time I start to get analytical and get overly scientific and about all this, they say, Kiwoni, get out of your head, back into your heart. And that's where all the answers are. So we don't need to go there with this intellectual stuff. And that is, oh, excuse me, I'm just going to say that is a message I have been getting over and over and over again from all kinds of different corners, including from, um, you know, synchronicity as well as talking to folks as well. You know, the advice I'm getting, I'm asking for, for advice and that's the advice I'm getting. Follow your heart and, and, uh, and stay in your heart for everything, for everything. Yes. All right. Hey, so, oh, so nice. let's, um, if you want to give a little heads up, give them your website. All oh, right. Before I say goodbye now, I'd like to say that the uh, people are interested in my two books, there'll be a third one out in fall uh, when I go to this parallel world that they told me they wanted to take me to. Uh, my two books can be purchased by going to www.sasquatchpeople.com and uh, 
uh, there's some other contactees that have books. I won't say they're similar. They are in a sense there's telepathy, but there's different messages, different perspective, uh, different uh, scenarios how all this happened with them that's fascinating, even to me that's experienced a lot in 35 years. So it's I am advertising those books and will be again in the next couple of months when more books come out from these other contactees that had profound experiences that if people are trying to follow this and understand who and what the Sasquatch people are and not mislabel the monsters and animals, uh, then they'll enjoy this, this material. Uh, of course, my first book uh, that came out in 1998 is The Psychic Sasquatch and the UFO Connection. And then in March of uh, 2011, my second book, the Sasquatch people and their interdimensional connection. Uh, also, I uh, travel a lot. I'm on a lot of conferences, and you can check from time to time. I'm, I have, I th think it's all set up for the rest of the year of my different conferences. So um, I feel that the UFO phenomena, which includes the Sasquatch and ancient ones and so on, is the most important phenomena in the entire world. Why? And I'm not trying to glorify myself or anybody else. It's think about it. Uh, these beings want to communicate with us, but they don't want to communicate with violent, fearful people. They don't, whatever it is, they can't be around them and they don't want to be around them. So we must keep an open mind. They want to help us. We're just too immature. We're too unevolved. Our technology has superseded our spiritual development. And so we become a warlike race. In the Bible, at, at, in the uh, Revelations, it says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And that's exactly what's happening. They said that's the end times. And so prepare, but don't prepare out of fear. Prepare out of love, they said. Walk in unconditional love. That's a high vibration. If you can't do it, work on it. It's worth it. Well said. Hey, uh, thank you so much. This has been a delight. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. And uh, I hope this is helpful to you and to the listening audience. God bless you all. Thanks so much. Bye now. Bye. Hi, this is Mike. I'm chiming in at the end of the editing process. Wow. Whew. That was, that was, um, that was wonderful. I, I, um, I am... I guess at a loss in some ways to defend or understand or truly comprehend uh, a lot of what Kiwoni was saying, though I will say it does parallel a lot of what I've heard from UFO abductees and UFO contactees. Uh, the stuff he is saying uh, is similar in tone and flavor. Now, uh, a couple things. He, I really was glad that I asked him about the dowsing because this is something that comes up, and I didn't actually realize he was using a pendulum and uh, I bought, I know this is going to sound kind of nutty and new agey, but um, I bought a little crystal pendulum on a little silver chain uh, a little over a year ago. And I will, uh, I will occasionally pull it out and ask it a simple yes or no question. And I am surprised at the way it, I'm going to say the way it, the pendulum answers sometimes, uh, sometimes it's pretty bold. And on one sense... It could be, you know, my subconscious interacting with the pendulum, 
which I'm quite certain I could get good information from that if I asked a question and it welled up from my subconscious some deeper truth. But while we were talking, I was, I felt, you know, was he was talking about being outside so much and I, and I thought, gee, should I go out in the backyard and sleep out under the stars tonight? So literally I, I put my little, uh, my, my, uh, microphone on mute and I asked the question, should I sleep outside tonight? And it said, no. I was kind of like, well, that doesn't make sense. This, that's kind of well, like it's a beautiful afternoon. Uh, it was early evening when we were talking and uh, totally clear skies, calm as it could be. Uh, and I was like, why? I'm like, why would he say not to sleep outside? That's That seems silly. Um, it said no, so I kind of dropped it and I slept in my bed last night. And early this morning, I woke up because it was pouring down rain outside. So, uh, well, I guess maybe the pendulum knew or, you know, who knows. But um, I just wanted to share that. So um, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.